invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. The book of Ruth, chapter 4. It's a small little book, so, so if you need to, look for Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And we'll be reading the whole final chapter. Before we read God's Word, let us uh, take a moment to pray that the Spirit would visit us and illumine our hearts as we hear it. So, let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray now that Your Spirit would truly illumine our hearts and our minds. But Heavenly Father, this Word, that You would take it and that You would shape us by it. That, Lord, You would give us attention to hear what it says, not just merely as a formality, but Lord, that we would know these things. That we would know this story as the story of life. And so we pray that Your Spirit truly be with us as You have promised. We pray for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, 
and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. That's for the reading of God's Word. Well, obviously, we are coming to the final chapter of this fantastic book of Ruth. This fantastic and colorful story uh, that teaches us so much in its few pages. I don't know when the last time you read or studied the book of Ruth, so I thought it'd be important to remind you of some basic things that we need to remember about this little book. I think the two most important things, now if you want to debate that these are the most important things, we can do that, but the two most important things that we take from the book of Ruth is God's chesed and the idea of the Redeemer of God sending His Redeemer. So what is chesed? Now you could just say hesed, but chesed is a lot more fun to say. Can you say it? Chesed. You've got to have some phlegm in your throat. Chesed. It's the Hebrew word that is a, has a very hard time being translated into the English language. It is a word that describes God's covenant faithful love. And even that doesn't capture it. It has built into it this idea, this purpose, this aspect of God's character. That He cannot go against His care for His people. He cannot break His covenant promises. He cannot turn His back on His people. That He will always, without fail and without doubt, work in the best interest of His people. He will be forever covenantally minded, keeping His promise. His promise of salvation, He cannot go back in it. What He provides for His people, He cannot stop. And so we say, chesed. God's covenant faithfulness. His covenant care. His covenant love. As I said, another major theme, important theme that has been building up to this chapter is the idea of a Redeemer. A Redeemer is someone who pays or provides something for another person who can't do it for themselves. And so here in this story, we see all along, through all of it being worked out, this idea and that God will provide a Redeemer. He will provide someone who is able to pay what you 
cannot. Can take on a debt that you cannot pay for yourself. Now, those two themes are not something that is unique to the book of Ruth. It is something that is part of the pages of Scripture since the fall. When the Redeemer was first promised in Genesis 3. Even when we think about the book of Ruth, if you remember as you have read it before, the first chapter, the first six verses, we see Elimelech doesn't like what's going on, and so he acts according to his desire and takes his family to Moab. Now, do we know, know anybody else who worked on their desire and went against God's promises and his word? Eve, Adam and Eve. God said, do this. They said, I want to do that. They did that. And what happened? The world fell. Death was introduced to the world. And that's what happened to Elimelech and his family. He chose to follow his desire. And he died. Both of his sons died. Because of the curse that was upon them, the, the surviving widows, in a way, lived in death as they were barren and unable to bear children. There was no life in them because of their decision to follow their desire. And so we see God promises at the beginning of the world a Redeemer who would come. And God in His chesed then shows us through the whole of the Old Testament until Jesus comes what that Redeemer is going to look like, how we should anticipate Him, what we should be looking for. And so in some ways, we see all of that in the book of Ruth. From the beginning of the first verses to the end, we see how God is breaking in through His covenant care, His covenant love. And He's coming and He's revealing little bits of who the Redeemer will be. Even through the, the bad actors and the good actors, the bad events and the good events in this short little book, God is revealing His Redeemer. And so that's why this is such a great book for us to think about. As it describes for us who God will send. And so, what is this book calling us to think about? Calling us to believe, to do. I believe that it's challenging us to first of all recognize our need for a Redeemer and then to accept the one that God sends. Not everybody accepts the fact that they need something they can't provide for themselves. Even as Christians, we, we sometimes fall into that trap that, that I can do it, right? Little children, right? When they're learning to walk, when they're learning to put things together and you see them struggling, they're trying to tie their shoes for the first time and a parent goes over to help them and what do they do? I do. I do. Even as Christians, we still have a tendency sometimes to do that. God, I got this. I can do this. But yet, what we, are, what we reveal to ourselves is that we can't. And we need the Redeemer. We need God's chesed love all around us. And so I think this final chapter challenges that way. To recognize that we need a Redeemer and to accept the one that God sends. But it's hard to trust God's promises, right? 
It's hard to trust promises that were written in a book 2,000 years ago, at latest. It's hard to trust someone who's not right there in front of you talking to you. So God gives us stories like this to remind us of who we are. Naomi had the same problem, right? From the beginning of the book, right? They didn't trust the promises of God and they ran away from Bethlehem to Moab. So it's a problem we all face. Is it's hard to live by faith and trust what God has said. And so He gives us examples like this to see once again His character. His chesed. And Paul tells us that these Old Testament stories were written for our benefit, that we would grow in grace, that we would be encouraged, that we would have confidence of who the Redeemer is in Jesus Christ. So, as we take up this last chapter then, how can I trust God's providence, a Redeemer for me? Think about that. How can I trust that? Well, the first thing we need to believe is that I can trust God's chesed, that He will provide me a Redeemer And He will provide the one that I need. He will provide the Redeemer that I need. Look at what verses 1-4 through is describing for us there. Basically, what we have here is an account of an official meeting, an official legal meeting at the town gate where all legal things were handled. And so Boaz goes there. He is probably well known there. You know they're from other parts of this passage where he was an upstanding man in the community. And so he goes there and he calls the elders together to present this case, to present what is going on. And he's going there to clarify who the Redeemer will be. Right? That's the, in, in chapter 3, we see that there could be another. And here we, we see how that's described. That there's someone who's a closer relationship to Naomi and Ruth who, who could be the Redeemer. And so they're going there to clarify who is the Redeemer. And we see that he lays out the whole scenario. Verses 3 and 4, right? Naomi, she's come back. She's got to sell this land. And so, here, here's the deal. Do you want to do it? In the presence of the people, in the, the legal um, standing, the legal courts of our, our, our land, would you like all of this land? Would you like to redeem it? Would you like to buy it? And he said, I will. Well, who wouldn't, right? You have the opportunity to expand your farmland. You have the um, opportunity to expand your ability and your status. And so he says, I will redeem it. But that's not the end of the story, is it? We turn to verse 5 and we see how the plot thickens. Because the day you buy the field from the land hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, that is a very brief description of a a law, a rule that God had put in place for Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. And that is the law of the leveret marriage. What it, in a nutshell, says that if there is a couple and the husband dies before there are children to carry on the family name, another close relative, usually a brother, will then take the widow as his wife and the first son born of that marriage 
would then be raised as if he was the son of the deceased to carry on the family name, to carry on the inheritance. And so, if you're in this room, I'm thinking of Isaac and Joseph because I know them, but so Isaac dies, you're supposed to marry Holly and raise the child together to carry on his name. That's what it's about. So for our ears and our circumstance, that seems really weird. (laughs) But it's not for Israel. It is the way that God has ordained His people to maintain family lines with an eye toward the coming Messiah. Going back to the promises of Genesis 3, that God would, through the seed of the woman, bring the Messiah. And so that seed, no one knows who that's going to be exactly. We don't know which family that is He is going to come from. And so it was very, very, very important for family lines to continue, lest they be the family line from, whom, from which the Messiah would come. And so if a family was to die out, it was as if you were unplugging yourself from the opportunity of knowing who this Redeemer, who the Christ, who the Messiah would be. And so God, knowing that this was important, put this in place as a circle of care for His people to preserve the path to the one we now know as Jesus Christ. And so this is a very serious business. Now it's a serious business that Israel apparently did not take very um, carefully, didn't take it and put a lot of salt in it as it may be, because we see in verse 6 that the Redeemer says, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance And take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. But what is he saying? He's saying, if I marry this woman, and we either never have a child, or we only have one son, then my family line is cut off. My family line dies out. So he says, I can't do it. I can't jeopardize my own inheritance to fulfill this law. So what's he doing? He's choosing his own desire over what God says. He's choosing his own desire, his own direction, his own wisdom, instead of what God has promised, what God has commanded, what God has given him to do. And so he seeks to protect his name, right? to protect his name to the Messiah. But look at the passage. What's his name? There's lots of names in this passage. There's lots of names in the book. But what is this person's name? In the ESV, it's translated friend. But really, you can't put it this way in an English Bible. His, what the Bible how he's described in Hebrew is more like Mr. So-and-so, John Doe. He chooses to go his own way instead of God's way, and his identity is wiped from the passage, wiped from history, because he chooses not to take up his obligation, his right to be the Redeemer. And so Mr. So-and-so never has his name mentioned. 
So as we look at this, remember, Boaz is setting up this meeting, going through this, so that he can determine legally and publicly who the Redeemer is. And through this process, we see that God has laid out how he will redeem very clearly. We see how God has foreseen these things, understands these things, knows these things. Right? Deuteronomy happened, happened generations before. And yet God knew from the very beginning that there would need to be this kinsman redeemer, this redeemer for His people in the immediate aspect of their lives to preserve the line to the Messiah. And so from the beginning, we see that this God, our God, through His chesed care, has cared for His people. He has done this to make sure that the One, the Redeemer that all human beings would need, would come at the appointed time. That the One who redeem us would come without concern for cost. And so God provides you and me then a Redeemer. Knowing our need. Knowing we need one even when we think we don't. One who would come and pay the ultimate cost. Not because we are worthy, but because we cannot do it ourselves. It's hard for us to imagine that. People around us let us down. And so how can I know that this Redeemer will care for me? Will do this for me? Well, that's the second belief we have to take from this. And is that, that is that we can trust God's chesed will provide a redemption that is complete. It is complete. Look at verses 7-10. through 10. What's going on here? So the man has said, I can't redeem it. So now Boaz is speaking and he's committing himself to be the redeemer of Ruth and Naomi and their family line. And so again, like I was saying before, he's making it legal. He's making it a public declaration. And again, we can look at the details that are here and say, yep, that's what's going on and you know, blah, 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 and go through it. But we got to take a second and think about what is he committing himself to? I, I alluded to it earlier. He is publicly declaring, I will take on this debt that they cannot pay themselves. I will raise up a child in the name of Elimelech, not because Elimelech deserves it. He obviously didn't. Not because Naomi deserved it. She obviously didn't. And Ruth, before she met Naomi, was a pagan. No one deserves it. And so Boaz, in honor to God, takes up the role of Redeemer. Not because they deserve it, but because they cannot do it themselves. But think about the cost. The same cost is to him as it was for Mr. So-and-so. Think about it. Ruth, we're told at the beginning of the passage, had probably been married roughly 10 years. At least long enough to have a child. And yet she never had a child. Remember, the purpose of this is to carry on the family name. So Boaz, this honorable, awesome man of God, is saying, I will follow God's rule as a Redeemer, with this woman who I don't have any guarantee I will ever have a child with. I will put my extensive inheritance, I will put my standing in the community, I will put my standing 
in the line to the Redeemer at jeopardy. Because again, remember, Ruth had never had a child. Because he trusts God, he takes up his role and he honors. What does it mean to redeem? Again, it's to to do something for someone else that they cannot do for themselves. And he, he willingly, he gladly, that's what we see through, through all of these verses of Boaz, he's gladly taking up this role to pay a debt that someone else cannot. To take up a role that someone else cannot and will not. We see that our God is illustrating for us how he's bringing about a complete redemption. But Boaz isn't backing down. He's doing it joyfully, right? He could have done it begrudgingly. He's like, well, yeah, fine, I'll do it. And, you know, be all in a huff. And the only thing we gather from these passages, now it's a tone thing, right? Is that, can we see tone in black and white? It's hard. But he seems to, at every turn, want to take up this role with joy to honor God as the Redeemer. And so he willingly takes on the cost. Look at what verses 9 and 10 say, right? They're describing this cost. He describes it in, in very stark detail, doesn't he? I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Right? There is nothing in that passage that describes what he wants for himself. It is all about Elimelech, Naomi, Ruth, and God being, doing, being a complete redeemer as God called him to be. It almost elicits in my mind those, the verse like we see in the book of Philippians where it talks about how Jesus was willing to empty Himself of the glories of heaven to cons- to, uh, and then calls us to act as if others are more important than ourselves as Christ did. And so we see that in Boaz as a picture of Christ who would come. We see that as He takes up this role to complete the role of Redeemer. But see what also comes with what this complete redemption is like, right? First, there's a public declaration, right? There's that, that idea that, that God has declared something and it's going to happen. We see the Redeemer step in and willing to take the cost. But look at the promises of 11 and 12, chapters 11, or verses 11 and 12. The people gather around and they, it's almost like it's a benediction. It's almost like they're, they're pronouncing these, these good words, these blessings upon this family as they take up this role. A complete redemption accomplished in Boaz is a picture of the complete redemption accomplished in Jesus Christ as it was public, as it was costly, and it provides an astronomically awesome, life-filled future. Of blessing. That's the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ as described here in these passages. Boaz is trusting God's promise. He doesn't care about the cost of his inheritance because there, that is nothing 
compared to being faithful to God. And so we see that in our Redeemer as He comes and fills that role for us. Redeeming, paying for something that we could never pay on our own. So what does the redemption that Jesus provides mean for me, for us? Well, we can trust God's chesed will provide redemption unto new life. Look what verse 13 and following talks about. First, it talks about Ruth, doesn't it? Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and she went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. She's a widow. And she's given an honorable, good, and great man. She's given conception. We don't know. Was she a barren woman? For whatever reason, we said the Lord opens her womb and gives her a son. Again, going back to the, the beginning in Genesis, where it talks about how the women of the Old Testament were saved through childbearing. Not that giving birth would be their mark of salvation, but it was through that they would have their tie to the coming Messiah. Redeemer. Where there was no life before, there is now new life in a son, new life in a family, new life in a focus on the one true and living God. And so as we said earlier, we have to accept Jesus as our Redeemer, the one who pays our debt of sin. And we can know then just as Ruth experienced, we can have new life. Now, but also in eternity with Him. But it goes on, this, this redemption or this um, promise of new life. It's interesting here that many of these verses here are focusing on Naomi. And I've often thought as I've studied this book, this should have been the, the book of Naomi and not Ruth. Look at what it says. Naomi, she's blessed. She has not only a redeemer, but she's got a daughter-in-law who loves her, who's better than seven sons. And Naomi takes her grandchild on her lap, and she's the nurse. And the women of the neighborhood give him a name, saying he's the son. A son has been born to Naomi. And he is named. Naomi, the one who came to Bethlehem And she told everybody, call me Mara because I'm bitter. She was dour. She was surrounded by death and gray. And now she had received a son who would be her protector, her provider in her old age. This woman who was empty was now filled to overflowing, not because she deserved it, Not because she could do it on her own, but because of God's chesed as He provides for her a Redeemer. She was spiritually empty before as she lived according to her own rules. But she had come to see her Lord, her God, and His faithfulness to her and her family. And in doing so, we see God had blessed her with new life. Again, it's an interesting thing here. There's an emphasis on the name. The name of Obed. 
And then it transitions to this, this great passage, or these great verses, with the genealogy of David. And we don't care much about genealogies. We don't look at them. We don't talk about them very often. Um, sometimes uh, we gloss over them. But here, as we think about these things, it, it, it puts together the genealogy of David. And this was probably written um, after David had become king to show his history in some way, shape, or form. But as someone who is on this side of Christmas, as someone who is on this side of Easter, when you hear someone putting together a genealogy, and it goes, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, I hope your mind clicks to who was the son of David. And that was Jesus Christ. And so we have the prequel here of what we would later read in the book of Matthew and look as we see the line to the Messiah preserved in this way. It is an awesome way that our God shows us what He is doing and how He brings new life. But what I want you to see and gather from this is what this genealogy for us now in the New Testament, what it shows us. It shows us a picture that redemption isn't just for these people. Those who lived in Bethlehem so long ago. But it points us to redemption that is for all men, women, and children through Jesus Christ. It points us forward with a big blinking arrow to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the whole New Testament as we see Jesus. As Jesus comes as a response to His chesed as the Redeemer of God's people. That He comes to be the kinsman Redeemer that all of the book of Ruth is pointing us to. And all of Boaz's good works and the testimony of Ruth and everything that's happened there, it is all pointing to the Redeemer that you and I need and profess and the new life that He provides. In the book of Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about how we are united to Christ and it is when we are united to Him that we can walk in newness of life. Newness of life that Naomi and Ruth would not have had an understanding of. But as those who have the Spirit in them, those who know the name Jesus Christ, we have a taste of what that new life is like new life in Him. So do you accept and trust this Redeemer whom God has sent to give you new and everlasting life? We have to answer that if you're hearing such a passage, of hearing such a story, right? We recognize it's, it's hard to listen to and obey the promises of God. Hard to live by faith as demonstrated here even in this book. Look what God provides. He provides the Redeemer that we need in Jesus Christ. He provides a complete redemption that we cannot provide for ourselves. One that promises new life that we can only have in Him. And so we're called by this passage and many more to recognize our need for a Redeemer 
and to accept the one, accept Jesus Christ as the one whom God has sent. Will you pray with me? Merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this vibrant story. For here, Lord, we see such a a picture, a colorful picture of what it is to be your people, to to understand your covenant faithful love, to, to have a better understanding of it, and to know and be reminded once again of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that need Lord, there's such temptation for us to do our own thing like the characters of this story. Lord, help us to focus on the One who gave up the glories of heaven so that we could have the hope of heaven through Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.